Hey guys, just wanted to take a, a second of your time to talk about a new bra head company that has appeared on the scene to deliver high quality bra heads at an affordable price. Exact Archery and the Exact Bra Heads deliver high quality, durable, and constant bra heads for a fraction of the price working directly with manufacturers they deliver. Order a three pack of four blade bra heads today for just $20 at www.exactarchery.com. Use the promo code BLADE22 to get free shipping. Thanks, guys. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Blue River Bow Hunting Podcast, episode 50. It's crazy to think I've done 50 episodes of this podcast. I've had some really cool people on, had really cool people in here hosting with me. Uh, but for ep- episode 50, got something pretty cool lined up tonight uh, with uh, Caleb Goss from uh, down down south of me in the Tennessee area. But uh, how's it going, buddy? going good what about you not too bad uh you know it kind of sucks you know i'm tagged out in indiana uh you know i haven't been in the whitetail woods in like a week and a half i'm having withdrawals i need to get uh behind a camera from somebody or for somebody and figure something out i'm having uh whitetail withdrawals pretty bad (laughs) i'm uh, I'm right there with you you know that's the curse of killing early so anybody that doesn't know the Appalachian assassin, uh, Caleb Goss, introduce yourself a little bit. I'm Caleb Goss. I'm from Crossville, Tennessee. I've grown up here my whole life. I don't think I've wasted a day uh, and not been in the woods. I was fortunate enough to, to grow up somewhere where I could romp around every, every day of the week and there's really there's not anything i don't chase i don't know i don't claim to be an expert on any of it i just know enough to be dangerous about all (laughs) right you know what i mean right uh so i kind of start the podcast out the same way uh with every guest that i have on uh tell us how you got started in hunting in the outdoors oh involuntarily of course Uh, (laughs) um i was uh, you know four years old i was drugged to the woods with dad and uh, I accidentally liked it a lot. Uh, I was, in fact, I was actually telling somebody today, I think my very first conscious memory that I can go back to is in the tent with dad, with coyotes ripping right outside in our gut piles. Oh, <laughs> and, that's awesome. In deer camp, I was four years old and uh, they woke me up before they woke him up and I roused him up or whatever, and I didn't know what it was, but I knew I liked it a lot. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. No, he drove me around. I was his shadow there for a long time. But uh, he was all, he's just a a weekend shoot the first deer that walks by kind of guy. And uh, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. That, you know, I've said it before on here talking to other people, but can you imagine, um, you know, traditions of old and talking to uh some old timers maybe back in the day you know 60s 70s 80s telling uh those old timers how some uh some of us deer hunt in in this country they would probably be dumbfounded in some of the responses that some people would tell them uh because back then you know they 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 really honestly did it only for uh you know meat and providing for their family and having a good time doing it with their buddies in deer camp uh, and the way that some people do it anymore, uh, they would probably have a shit fit. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's a, it's a luxury sport to a certain degree. It can be, you know, you know, 
you spend, how, you know, everyone likes to log how many hours they've been in the tree stand. If you made five dollars an hour for that, we'd, we'd all be able to buy something else. So you're you're right. Uh, they'd be like, you need to get in the field and do some work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could be, uh, you know, if I had a, a time travel machine, I would definitely go back. Uh, you know, to the seventies or eighties or something, maybe even the sixties and hop in a deer camp somewhere. And, you know, the UP of, uh, Northern Michigan or, uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin or something like that, where, you know, those traditions really run deep up there on, on deer camps. And I think that would be an, an awesome, awesome story to tell somebody. Absolutely. Uh, so for you and your, your family, it's kind of another question that I, uh, tend to ask on here quite a bit. What's some uh, traditions that you and your family hold uh, each and every deer season? Uh, well, I'll be honest, Dad, he just don't hunt like he used to. But when I was a kid growing up, probably about till the time I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 15, we just we had a, a muzzleloader deer camp. You know, we always have archery, then muzzleloader, then rifle. And around here, generally, muzzleloader falls in the best time to be in the woods. And uh, it ain't got bitter cold yet, so we'd always go camp during muzzleloader. So I remember black powder smoke, campfires, you know, all that. And we did that every year for about a week at a time. But uh, Dad, he's he's about all but quit. So the only traditions anymore are going to have to be made by me and my boy. There you go. Kind of same thing with me. Uh, I don't hunt uh, with with my dad like I, I quite like I used to. Uh, we always had a tradition back in the day. I don't know why or how it even started, but our opening day gun season, we would always go to the the local diner and have breakfast and uh, look at everybody in their in their blaze orange, getting ready to smoke the first doe that walked in. And it was just kind of cool to see everybody and hear their stories, maybe and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, uh, I, I, Dad, I I couldn't tell you the last time I've been in the woods with my dad when he killed a deer. We've been killing them. He'll go, he used to kill one. I'd go drive across the state and hunt all day, and he'd shoot one in his underwear in the backyard. <laughs> right. This year, finally, I talked him into going back to muzzleload hunt, and uh, there's just an old stand we've been killing deer out of for years, and uh, I told him, I just, I want to watch you shoot one. And uh, I just climbed up in my saddle and hung right there behind him and watched him shoot a couple over his shoulder. That's pretty cool, man. And, uh, he, he, it was just a four-pointer, but, man, when that buck folded, my heart was beating just like when I dropped my biggest one of this season. Or worse, really, just... <laughs> All right. Because, you know, you don't have that control. You're watching if someone else is doing it. You know what I mean. Well, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of funny you say that because um, this year, um, we talked about it on a pre the, the, the podcast before this, but I was with uh, my guy Adam Bonowitz, my neighbor, filming for him on uh november the 11th and he shot about 130 inch buck with his bow and i filmed everything i filmed uh filmed the whole hunt entirety and everything and after he shot that deer i think i was shaking uh probably more than he was i don't know if it was just my adrenaline going or we had finally accomplished what we had been doing for uh two plus years on the filming aspect and finally getting it done with the bow on film but uh i was shaking like uh i don't know i shot a 180 inch deer or something <laughs> uh so you you talked a little bit when you when you sent the email over telling me a little bit about yourself Are you chasing these these mountain deer uh what, what what do you think the difference in between 
uh, hunting mountain deer compared to hunting, you know, these Midwest uh, corn-fed deer? What do you think the difference is, and how do you approach all that? I'll say most of my experience in the mountains growing up, I was not necessarily building from year to year. I wasn't being a conscious deer hunter, you know, thinking critically. We were just going to the same old tree stands expecting. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of deer with a with a dang rocking chair on my head to come out of those woods. But it, there was no forethought into it. It was totally random and all that. Frankly, what's mountain deer harder than other deer is simply the density or the lack of density in the mountains. There's not a deer. There's just substantially less deer per acre. Mm -hmm. You get in the lowland and it blew my mind, you know, because dad, you know, he hauled me up there on the mountain. We hunted. And like I said, you might sit two weeks. And now, like I said, that's probably partially for not doing any kind of reading the topography, reading this, that, and the other. Like I said, we historically, we just picked a spot where you could see good, Mm -hmm. see the most and shoot. That don't mean nothing if it's not, you know, where the deer are actually going to go. So, but once I I got my own set of wheels and started branching out and going places, you know, because dad just wanted to go to the private land because he didn't have to deal with anybody else or whatever. And so we went out there and did the same thing for about 15 years. And I was all but burned out of deer hunting. It it, it sucks to sit two weeks and not see nothing. I know how that feels. I was branching, I was branching out to other pursuits and whatnot, but, as soon as I started moving around, and especially once I made it to college and got around some of that public land that I was in, my eyes really opened up to, holy crap, I'm seeing five deer every other time I go. And, you know, whereas when you're having a deer come through every two weeks, you better be on your game. You know, mm-hmm. I, will say, I will say that taught me to no, no hesitation, think fast, you know, take your time in a hurry is what dad said. Take your time in a hurry, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but having, being able to see multiple deer a day and be like, holy crap, that's not what deer hunting is. I could, I can see all these deer if I just go across the county and get in the scrub down by the river, you know, versus up on the mountain. And uh, that's when I really started wanting to deer hunt a little bit more, but I, I never did get into the, trying to chase a big deer that I started killing deer a whole lot more killing as many as I wanted to, but not big ones. But mm-hmm. this year is the year where all those gears are finally starting to, I really enjoyed it. It kind of happened accidentally a little bit. I mean, halfway thought I was calculating a plan and working. And, and I coincidentally, a few follow-up hunts to killing my two bucks I killed this year. I did some of the same things and had some encounters with, I don't know, 120, 130, maybe up to 140. I think in two days of sitting, I saw four bucks well over 100 inches, and uh, two of them I missed. <laughs> so, and that was on <laughs> that was on a bonus buck opportunity. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was riding that wave, you know, of success, and then I got brought right down back to earth, baby, watching that one <laughs> over the back and one under the belly, two different bucks. Oh, man. To kind of go back on what you said a little bit as far as like, you know, hunting the same stuff over and over again, and it kind of, you kind of getting tired of that. Uh, I can can attest to that a little bit when I was younger, I would say in high school, maybe even a little bit after high school. um, You don't learn to read sign or even really know what's going on 
per se in the deer woods when you do that because you're just walking in you're probably walking the same path in uh you're getting in that hang on that you put on you've been up for five years or whatever and you don't really know what's going on compared to like what you're saying you're going in on you're diving in on public you know you're 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 scouting your way in you're scouting your way out you may see you know you may walk a trail in and see a scrape and say, oh, that wasn't there two days ago. Uh, you know, he, this buck is moving through the area. He's probably checking some bedding or whatever. I think doing that and being uh, mobile per se can help you uh, read whitetail sign a lot better than just walking in and hopping in the same old stand over and over again. Yeah, no, I mean, in a season span, the handful of deer that are living in wherever the the, the radius of your stand. It's predictable, you know. I, I swear, even sometimes I know the difference between the weekend and the weekdays, <laughs> you know. All right. I mean, that, I don't know. I just, I feel like, and I, this is one thing I saw my dad do and my grandpa as well. Uh, they had success in a spot one time, and then they hunted that spot like a fool. <laughs> they wouldn't go nowhere else. And I'm like, that's one moment in time. That's one deer's choice of current place to live. You killed him. Now he's gonna. He's got a son or two that might copy him, but that's no guarantee. Right. Especially on those opening day shuffles when there's so many bodies in the woods. Oh yeah. And those deer are getting blown off their path. I mean, you had success once. That now sometimes I do have trees where I can go to every single year. The deer do the same thing. I do have those places, but uh, you know, you hunted few dozen times a dozen times and it's just not happening well move on you know absolutely and it's fun kind of funny that i say that and say that i you know i'm kind of following the same path as you i almost want to work my way in and check everything out uh but the buck that i shot this year was in uh, a lock-on uh that i've had in that that same spot since i don't know 2015 2016 uh but it was one of those days i was supposed to do something else i was supposed to go film for a buddy that morning and uh, so he switched the plans up on me a little bit. Uh, his boy was sick and he couldn't go. So, uh, it was kind of me throw it together last minute. I was like, I want to go to the spot. I hadn't been there for about a week and a half. Uh, when I took, uh, Zach from mid state outdoors when he was down from Michigan. Uh, and I got so lucky, man. I got up in the sand, saw a ton of deer, uh, saw deer the whole time I was there, you know, and then it was just that special time of the year that I knew it was the right time to be in that spot. And then next thing I know, I got a 130 inch deer, uh, in my lap and in the bed of my truck. So it, it, it all worked out <laughs> a lot better than I wanted it to, but it's, it's always cool when, uh, something comes together like that, uh, kind of unexpected for sure. Yeah. Well, and this is something I always say, you know, a lot of people, I, I you know, I've done well or whatever, uh, successful harvest and this, that, and the other people ask me how I've done this or that or whatever. And I just say, well, the only thing I can figure is that I was in the woods with a gun or a bow, and that's the most consistent uh, to my kids. It's like no, sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason to it. You just got to be relentless. Yeah. And keep going. I'll tell you, I've had my best days mostly. It's that last day when you just don't want to get out of bed and force yourself to go. The stars line up, and uh, and it's just getting there and being there. And, hours log i mean you can help you can help yourself a lot by thinking critically but absolutely i gotta 
a couple buddies that are kind of getting into it uh, uh, now that they've saw me and a couple other buddies into the sport and they're interested and they've been a few times and they've almost both said the same thing to me and uh, my buddy Ryan who helped start Blue River bow hunting. Uh, they always say, you guys are so lucky. You guys always kill big bucks or you're always on big bucks. And you know, my, my response to that is we're in the woods as much as humanly possible. Our wives hate us in the months of October, and November, because we're never home. You know, we may be coming home and it's to go to bed because we're so tired from hunting all day and we're ready to do it again. You know, I probably lose weight in hunting season because I'm just don't, I don't really, I mean, I'm always on the go. I'm always doing something uh you know like you said relentless we're we're there it doesn't matter we maybe not always in the same woods but uh if there's a day open or a time open for me to be in a in the woods i'm i'm there so we're putting m- as much time as humanly possible into it of course we're going to get on big deer or or deer in general you know they think you can just hop in a stand and kill a deer your first time or second time or third time out in the woods and it just doesn't work like that yeah no that uh the L word, it might rub me the wrong way sometimes. Like, you don't know what's behind that rack. You don't know what's behind that turkey. You don't know about the thousands of hours just empty-handed, failure after failure. I mean, oh, if, absolutely. You, if you want to get, if you want to be lucky, you got to be a friend of failure. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, absolutely. You just got to grin and keep going and say, well, thank you for teaching me what you taught me today. Keep grinding. You know, absolutely i think i've i've learned that more turkey hunting the last few years than uh deer hunting for sure uh seems like there was like a six to seven year uh window where i killed a bird every year i got super lucky on every hunt i mean yes i had the knowledge to do so uh but then i, I just went on this like bad spell and i couldn't get on a bird i missed a couple birds you know it is always something that played out for me during the turkey woods and then to finally get it done last year uh up in michigan man it, it was like a monkey off my back it felt like the biggest baddest bird i've ever killed just because it had been so long since i'd killed one right and that does sweeten sweeten it all the failure behind it i, I mean if you just walked out and blew one away the first time every time it just there's no gratification at least not to me you know absolutely i'm with you on that buddy so you so you talked about uh starting to hunt the public land when you went to college and all that and you tell me that uh you're basically all public land now and you use waterways to get in and out tell us a little bit about the the public land stuff and the way that you approach it well i'm a it's, it's a pretty, pretty simple approach. Uh, I accidentally, my, my, uh, this really doesn't have much to do with it, but my, my degree is actually says, uh, conservation of biodiversity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that's what you got to focus on. There'll be so much more game in any diversity hub. You just want anywhere where two or three types of vegetation come together. Prefer, you know, I'll, around here, a diversity is uh, the backside of a cow pasture. You know, if you've got 5,000 acres of woods and one cow pasture, that's your diversity. Okay. You get close to that. And then you look for the most significant piece of topography. And that's all I'm literally doing is finding somewhere where there's two or three different types of vegetation happening and finding the tightest choke point. And I'll tell you what, I probably got no less, I mean, I've probably got 500 pins dropped in different little spots all around. And I've probably been to a third of them at this point. 
And uh, I see deer in all those little choke points. I mean, I know a lot of people want to camp out on the food. We're right mm-hmm. on that straight. But if I can split the difference between all of those three things, you know, that, that's been successful for me, and I haven't tried anything else. I've been seeing deer, shooting deer. Uh, the, I mean, I, I've been doing that for the past. I remember when that all clicked, when I came back home from college, and I kind of – it was an opening-day muzzleloader hunt. I hadn't had any time to scout, but I dropped me a pin on the map that I never set foot into a day in my life, took my kayak in there to it, got in. I sat there till 11 o'clock. You could hear people driving up top road hunting, everybody's shuffling you know leaving the woods and all that about 11 30 here comes big old dandy through there he comes through where i like to hunt it, there's lots of hemlocks just gnarly dark hollers just, he dips under you've seen hemlocks where the branches overhang real low mm-hmm. he went under the hemlock and he popped right out under that hemlock and looked right up at me and that muzzle over clicked <laughs> and he ran <laughs> up the hill i don't know what it was but, you know, I'm just shaking there. I'm a mess, you know. And mm-hmm. I can still barely see him at the top of the hill and uh, get another primer on. And something spooked him right back down to me, and I shot him again. But the point of it is, is he cruised right through that topo when people were shuffling around in the woods. I've killed so many deer on public land in good topo around lunchtime. When uh, I call oh, it a midday shuffle. I don't know if other people call it that or I don't necessarily call it that, but I know uh, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I've outlasted uh, quite a few people uh, around some private that I have, uh, and just like you said about lunchtime, uh, they're hopping down to go get them some food. You know, I was smart enough to eat breakfast or bring a snack in with me to keep me there longer. Uh, and, and they push them, you know, they may, they may be, uh, hunting near bedding or, you know, a, a fence row or something. And they're just pushing them right into where I'm at. And I've seen a ton of deer from 11 to three or, you know, in that midday area, some of it had to do with rut activity. Uh, but a lot of that is like you said, midday shuffle guys getting out of the stand, pushing deer around yep. or, you know, maybe, maybe they killed one and they're, you know, going they to four-pointer to come through and they're tickled pink but and hey they push big daddy over you know where we are but um, i'm sure we've pushed a deer getting out or whatever vice versa and all that but I, that's how we kind of hunted when i was a kid and now that i'm hunting on my own and doing my own thing and now that i have the desire i, I never i thought it was crazy to go chase big bucks i'm like man i want to go shoot ducks every five minutes not sit patiently <laughs> like a statue for daylight till dark but now that's what i'm doing i'm sitting there i was so miserable on that last hunt it was 19 degrees with the wind chill and i was underdressed and i just i couldn't afford to move every time i moved i got cold <laughs> until that big old buck came in right at dark and i missed him but. i did get the chance uh thanksgiving morning uh last week to go duck hunting i hadn't duck hunted since last year it's something i normally do after uh our deer season or really honestly, right before our deer season comes out, but it's, you know, tagged out or I just want to switch it up for the day or whatever. Uh, Thanksgiving morning, we killed uh, 12 mallards in a gadwall. And that's some of the the best hunting I've had in a while, just because it's so much different than deer hunting. You know, we went out there and we're all laughing and giggling and telling stories and shooting a bunch of, du- bunch of ducks, man. It was a blast. Dude, I, I just had, a, I just come back from one I was down at the bottom of Kentucky Lake, and we killed a five-man limit and had to leave them flying. Oh, I, was yeah. just, I just was like, 
<laughs> After all those days of freezing, not seeing nothing. I had a bruise. I had to pick my shots because my shoulder was hurting. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good day shooting right there. Yeah. We had uh, about 40 mallards land in on us before we could legally shoot. Uh, so we had to kind of pick what we wanted to do once we could shoot. Uh, and they were all kind of went down creek of us. We were hunting a creek because all the ponds and lakes were froze up. Uh, so they were hitting that creek and I mean, they absolutely just piled in there. Uh, and they just come over top of us all morning long and, you know, sitting there, we're already set up. And, uh, once we could finally shoot, uh, the guy to our far right shot and they all lifted up, but they all came right past us. So we shot a bunch of them and then, uh, I don't know if they wanted in that hole just that bad or there was that many birds in the area, but they just kept coming back. Singles, doubles, singles, doubles, singles, doubles. It was awesome, man. I've, I love, I think I shot about a box of shells. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how many times I shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good time though. <laughs> what about, you know, you know, you seem pretty old school on the deer hunting stuff, which I love by the way. Uh, what about uh, your scent game, scent control? What what do you do as far as it comes to scent control? Well, it may, it, it's probably not a very popular opinion, but I really don't do much to it other than watch which way it's blowing. You may not say that's a popular opinion, uh, but you're probably about the fifth or sixth person in a row I've I've had on this podcast that has the exact answer that you just answered. I say I say as long as you are respiring, you know your pores are letting out a little bit of hot air, your breath a little hot air. And I, there's no stopping it. You can minimize it, but mm-hmm. I just think, uh, I just, I don't fool with it no more. I, I will say I, I, in early season, I keep a bottle of spray simply to cool myself down. <laughs> right. Spray my hair, wet my hat, wet my shirt. Like if it, you know, early September, you know, late September, early season, huh? Right. I will wet myself down because you know, sweat stinks that much more. <laughs> right. So Tennessee, uh, you guys just started doing the um, the velvet hunts, right? Or has that always been a thing there? It's been in the past three to five years. I can't remember exactly when, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, they do that velvet hunt, and uh, frankly, I've never participated in it. I could. I know places where deer in the they're the most predictable they'll ever be. Right. They're they're in the backside of the field thirty minutes before dark every day. But I still that it just don't scratch the same itch for me. Yeah. I don't know why. But I get it. I haven't even tried. We we went. Uh, I went with a group of guys to Kentucky. Uh, they this was like their eleventh year in a row going or something. That first weekend, the Labor Day weekend or whatever, their open, archery opener for Kentucky. Uh, and and I get what you're saying. It doesn't scratch the same itch. Uh, but they made it so much fun uh, that it makes me want to go back. It was hey, as hot as I mean, I've ever been deer hunting, though. I can tell yeah. you that much. <laughs> Absolutely. That's half of the – I mean, I don't care to handle meat when it's warm, but just the being hot, guaranteed mosquitoes, at least at least in early October, you got a 50-50 chance of not getting bit by mosquitoes if it's just two degrees cool enough to keep them still. You know what I mean? But Yeah, you August, got a, a thermosil is a must. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh talk about some of the, let's talk about some of the gear you use so when you go into these public lands uh to hang and hunt is it a climber uh are you doing the sticks and a lock on saddle what do you use um my climber is hanging about oh 
25 feet up in the tree. Um, it probably bamboozling people when they walk by it if they ever walk that far. <laughs> probably think somebody fell out. I left it up there. I climbed up with sticks and hung the climber in, in a, just to treat it as a lock on. Mm-hmm. Because I, I switched. Let's see. I I had dug about a half a pound of ginseng and I sold it off. And I said I got to turn it into something I'm going to use. I ain't buying gas. I ain't buying groceries. And so I went and I bought a lone wolf assault and sticks. Mm-hmm. And I used it and. Uh, you know, retired my climber. I used it a few times and I'm like, man, as much as I've spent on this, it's still light. Don't get me wrong. The stand itself is light and the sticks are fairly light. But what got me is still having that profile dragging behind me. Cause I don't, I don't, I ain't walking logging roads. I ain't walking trails. It's scrub, just purely holly thickets, laurel thickets. And it's a pain. You know how a climber hangs on everything. Plus, it weighs 30 pounds or however many, you know. Right. So I retired it. I switched to the lone wolf, and I still wasn't satisfied. Of course, I've been seeing the saddle stuff for years. I'm like, I'm never going to do that. That's goofy, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to hang. I'm going to go scout, hang lock-ons, and hunt them lock-ons. That seemed like what I wanted to do. But uh, finally, I got on Amazon and ordered a rock climbing harness. And... Uh, then I took one of my lone wolf sticks and I put the seat to the tree stand on the stick instead of on the tree stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cut my stick to about about that. That well, I've got it sitting right here. If you want to see it, let's see it. It's just, well, it's just a climbing. It's just like any old platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm saddle hunting more or less, but just a little cheaper, I think. But yeah, that's a pretty unique. That's what I I'm have... doing now. It fits in my pack. I don't. I'm. I, I'm I'm not even uh, I'm not even one stick, and I'm just climbing with just the platform. That's all. That's all I take is a platform, a tether rope, and a harness. I think it weighs maybe seven pounds. So what you're I'm getting? What sure. about? I weighed eight, it nine times. So what you're getting about? What six, seven foot off the ground? Oh no! I I inch up the tree. Like I'll step up on the platform and put the rope up as high as I can. And pull it down tight and hang in the pl- in the in the saddle, and I'll reach down and I'll move my platform up two feet at a time. Oh, I okay. Climb. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, I can climb. I can climb as high as I want. I keep uh, a second tether rope so I can skip branches. And, uh, like I said, literally, it fits inside my backpack. Just it. That's awesome. And that that's what changed it for me is I can fit my rope in there. My platform fits in there. It's no wider than I am. And uh, the and the and the harness itself fits in there, and that is the game changingest thing I ever had. Just being able to, without a hitch, go from point A to C. What I say is, like when you go in blind on public and you've never walked it once, you're never taking the most efficient route ever. Right. You're not seeing it in daylight. You're not seeing the brush. You're not seeing that deadfall, and you know how time consuming that is. Blunt, I call it blundering in. If mm. you got a big climber on, and it takes you three times as much you're sweating five times as much and that literally changed that made me a big buck hunter i'll spend time in the woods the last buck i killed was a mile and three quarters deep and i know uh, i'm no uh, well no not the last one the last big one i killed uh, i'm no pitcher of physical fitness and for me to be able to do that before daylight my life's changed i'm going to be doing that the rest of my life <laughs> you That's know awesome. I'm, glad, I'm, glad, 
I'm glad I made the switch because I might just be saying, oh, psh, hunting them deer, that ain't for me. But but just uh, this year has been a, I say it's renewed my uh, my interest, you know, re- reignited the flame. And I'm, it's on. <laughs> I'll guarantee it. So question, you said that you were a mile and three quarters back into the, into the woods and you killed that buck. Um, what are you using to get that buck out of the woods? Well, this last one that, uh, I got, I drug it all the way out and it's the biggest deer oh. I've ever killed. And, uh, the only reason I did that was, uh, so I could get a picture of it whole with my son. It's the biggest buck I killed since he was born. And I said, I said, I'm almost um, as tough as I am dumb. So uh, (laughs) let's get to drag it. And I dragged it, I drug it 30 yards at a time, 30 yard bursts, just leaned back into it, pulled Mm -hmm. it backward. And uh, 30 yard burst, I'd go back and get my pack, walk it up 30 yards, and just, I said, just don't think about it, just do it. And uh, drug it out, drug it back to the boat, and floated it back to the truck. I mean, I was, I was a mile in on the boat and a mile and three quarters on foot. Man, that's a, that's a haul there. Uh, I hosted a public land deer camp in Southern Indiana, uh, this past October. And, uh, a guy that came down to hunt with us that, uh, I actually work with, um, he shot a good buck on the Saturday that we were there and, uh, he sends me a pen to where he's at and he's 1.78 miles from the truck. And I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be fun. So me and another guy went back there, help him recover the deer. Uh, we get it gutted. And then the hike was on, man. And we, we tried to, you know, use the pin on, on X to see what the shortest route out of the woods would be with the deer. Because we actually had like a, somebody had a harness that we could hook it up to the deer and just pull pull the deer. And uh Next thing I know, we got it. We probably got it about a half mile or so uh, from the road. And I said, "Hey, let me pick your pick your guys' stuff up. Let me take it to the road. I'll come back you get you, and we'll get this thing out of there." I didn't realize it was straight uphill. And when I say straight uphill, I'm talking probably some of the, like the mountain stuff that you used to hunt or still hunt or whatever. It was straight up and down. And I sent. Uh, we had like a group chat going on with everybody that was there, so I sent everybody a pin. Uh, to where we were at and it was so cool uh to see the responses that we got uh everybody came and helped drag this thing out but we got to a certain point where we couldn't drag it out we had to end up and it's the first time i've ever been a part of anything like that we quartered it out uh within game bags and everything uh scott thompson from texas he he drove 12 13 hours to come hunting with us down there and come hang out and camp with us super cool dude uh, he said, uh, I've done this before and I actually have the game bags on me. We're, and we looked at, uh, Jeremy who shot the buck and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to mount it. Uh, you know, we can go ahead and cut it up. We don't even have to worry about, you know, caping it or anything. Uh, and we quartered this thing. So Scott quartered it out and put it in bags. We all grabbed a bag and hiked up out of there. One of the coolest things I've ever been a part of is as far as deer hunting, because everything, I'm getting into it a lot more as far as hunting public land, but a lot of the stuff that I hunt 90% of the time is private land. And if I kill something, I'm able to almost drive right up to where I'm at. I don't necessarily have to drag it uh, that far. 
And to be a part of something like that was super cool, man. Great buck. Uh, I would say he's probably in the 130, 135 range. He, and he had like a chocolate rack. And it was just a really cool experience. And for everybody to, to be a part of that down there at Deer Camp and everybody help out, man, it was freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and last year was the first year we started, me and my one buddy I hunt with, that we've been buddies since we're four years old. He's like my brother. We switched to the saddles at the same time last year, and uh, we decided to start going into these places where it wasn't possible to get a four-wheeler into. It was like, you know, nobody else is going off in there because 95% of people around here, if you see them on public land, they're probably not four or 500 yards from their truck park or half the time you can see them, you know. But we were getting in some places where it's just steep, rocky, nasty, and that I had come back from a hunt in Colorado maybe a year or two before, and I still had my game bags, and I threw them in my pack. My buddy plugged one, and that's what we did. There was no thinking about it, no nothing. It was we're busting it down. That's our only like it's just physically impossible. And Basically, he's a. I tagged out, you know, in October, but that same little choke point down there in public. He's 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 tagged out now with his rifle. So I mean, it's a it's a producer, but you're gonna you're gonna cut them up and pack them out, or yeah, that's that's your only choice. <laughs> so you just t- touched on it going uh, out to Colorado. What exactly did you do out there? Elk or bear or what? Yeah, we went we went elk hunting. Uh, it was my very first time. I said, you know, once I get out of school and get employed and get enough funds and all that, I said I'm doing it. I, my bucket list is a screaming bull elk i want to see his uh, eyelashes and smell his breath and then (laughs) send it you know Um, and uh we did that and you know you never if you'll admit it to yourself you'll never you'll never realize what a little greeny weenie you are coming from deer hunt to hitting the rocky mountains you know that was a very humbling experience we, and oddly enough, after, you know, the first couple blunders, we did some really rookie greenhorn stuff trying to do, you, you know, you read the topo maps at home. Well, they just can't exaggerate the lines enough for out there. You know, I, 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 bet. I was wanting to take a shortcut, which I guess there's you know no such thing as a shortcut if you really think about it in those mountains, but I was trying to get us up and over, up into Billy Goat territory where the trees were gone and over to an alpine lake as our base camp where we could sit there in glass and the meadows below. That's where the elk were. It took us a you know, a couple of days to actually get in there with them. But uh, we probably wasted four days blundering. We had fun now. We shot a bunch of grouse. Uh, I got my small game tag because I was like, that's, uh, that's half of my bucket list is shooting grouse with my bow. Yeah, and that'd be awesome. We snuffed it. I mean, we flushed eight behind our base camp and buddy we ate good my buddies i I said they're boy scouts they had all the freeze-dried stuff you know we ate we had burritos we had chinese food just all sorts of stuff and every single meal we supplemented with uh, the grouse and brook trout and because you go in the little trickling streams every cast you're pulling out a six to eight inch brook trout so that's awesome talking about you know hunting out west I've, i've never been out west uh hunting either and, and the the elk thing definitely um it's definitely on that list bucket list for sure but for some reason i don't i don't know why the muleys have more of my attention uh than the elk do i know seeing like you said seeing a big old screaming bull you want to see his eyelashes and his breath that does sound badass but there's something about those big 
yeah. velvet muleys that just kind of get my attention, man. Them things are absolute giants, man. Yeah, no, I, I uh, actually, I've got a buddy. He he guides uh, sheep and moose in Alaska, and he's always sending me pics I'm jealous of there. Uh, but he goes every year to Montana and kills a pile of antelope. And uh, right just a week or two ago, he was sending me pictures of mule deer. I'm immediately quizzing him. I don't know why, but I, I've never had any interest in them that much. But yeah. those pigs, there's like six to eight inches of snow. And, I don't know. I just, I think I got bit by, I got to do it once. And I already know somebody who knows right where they're living. So <laughs> there you go. The battle, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I definitely want to get on the muleys. I don't know what state that I would go to. Obviously I'd have to do a ton of research as far as having preference points and all that stuff. But I got a good buddy down there in Texas, Kurt box. Uh, he goes to Arizona quite a bit. Uh, and he was actually, it's funny. We're talking about that. He actually sent me a picture, a trail cam picture of a, uh, a freaking giant muley. I don't even want to guess a score because I'd probably be way off, but uh, just an absolute pig of a mule deer. And he said that was on his bucket list. He was headed to Arizona chasing muleys. I'm like, man, I'm so jealous because I'm tagged out here in Indiana and I don't even know if I'll ever get to pick the bow back up again this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, this year I've kind of entertained the possibility of going out of state a little bit. If I can consistently tag out in, in bow season, then why not go? And, you know, if I tag out here, I don't care if I kill one anywhere else. I just, you know, more more than, you know, killing them, I just want to go out and experience something new. That's that's the biggest reason I switched to public land is you can literally never hunt the same place twice, you know, uh, and just see. I like watching the sun come up somewhere new as often as possible. Now, if I see something good and worth coming back for well, I'll go there, but, you know, it's nice yeah, to bounce around. For sure. That's what I did uh, last year, actually. I tagged out the last weekend of October, and I actually had the – I think it was the first week of October or November off, of work already off, and I was like, let's go somewhere. Let's figure this out, and we had to figure it out quickly. We ended up going to Ohio. Uh, we, we wanted to find a public public land that we could hunt, and we could also stay there that like maybe had – you know, uh, open spots that we could tent camp or whatever. End up doing that for a whole week uh, in Coshocton County, Ohio. And it was a very humbling experience for sure. Um, you know, there was days where I woke up in my tent and there was frost on my pillow. It was so cold. Uh, I slept like in my, my deer hunting bibs. You know, I slept in some of that stuff. Uh, we had figure out some of the campfire situation, try to keep ourselves warm. We you know, we drove into town and got us some goodies to cook up, up up every night, cooking deer steaks with onions and peppers and stuff. And it was just kind of cool to camp the whole week, you know, and then uh, meeting people from that had traveled just like we had. And, and it was just really cool. And I want to do that in as many states as I can, I think, uh, for whitetails. There's, I, I love duck hunting and turkey hunting as much as everybody else does, but uh, doesn't scratch that itch like whitetails do. And I want to experience whitetail hunting all over the country. I want to go into every state if that's even possible. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it is. Uh, so we're talking about gear. Uh, we talked about your stand. You switched to the saddle. What about your bow? What kind of bow are you toting around? Oh, man. 
Let's see. Years ago, have you ever seen those stores that uh, take all the Amazon returns? Yeah. I found a, a Diamond Infinite Edge there, uh, which, you know, that's more or less a starter bow, kind of grow with you bow or whatever. Yeah. I found it there for like, it, they had it for 100 on the shelf and the serving string had come unwound. And I told that manager, I said, I'm going to have to get this reserved. Blah, blah, blah. I got it for 75 bucks. It shoots 310 IBO. It's plenty fast. Enough. And that's all I've been slinging them with for, I don't know, a long time. Long time. That's awesome. Yeah. I, re- I reserved the string myself. That's even better. That's awesome. Um, I saw a picture on your Go Wild. Did you shoot on with a longbow? Yes, sir. I surely did. Um, I've been shooting them things since I was a kid, just, you know, out in the yard and stuff. And right. I don't know. I killed, I killed two does, that one big buck, and I killed about a 300-pound pig all with my compound bow. Uh, and I was like, man, I've been having a great season with the bow. I've owned that particular stick bow. It was a gift since 2009. And I shot the fire out of it. I can hit what I'm aiming at. It's just a lot mm-hmm. slower than that. And uh, But, yeah, I told my buddy, I said, uh, if there was ever a time to go take it, it'd be now. And uh, I don't know, about 9 o'clock that morning, I sent him a picture of a heart with a hole in it. And I said, well, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So what kind of uh, – th- did it give you – uh, like a sense sense of accomplishment shooting it with a traditional bow like that. Oh, I mean, I I wrote it up on my on my go wild post. Uh, it, it literally was just it was fulfilling a childhood dream because uh, mm-hmm. I've been shooting them like that and fantasizing about it. Uh, I've romped around with it in the woods, you know, hoping a nice yearling would bounce out in front of me and I could do it. And, but that uh, that little spot I'm sitting at, it's real tight. I've, probably killed a dozen deer in it at this point none of them have been over a 20 yard shot um i said well if there's ever a place to take a stick bow it's that one about 70 percent of the time the deer literally walk under the tree stand Um, that's awesome it's a it's a choke point between a creek and uh, some very tall bluffs on the backside of some large field green fields and uh no exaggeration, there's six different deer trails within bow range of that stand. and uh, But they always pick the one right under me, and you can't hear them because it's in the hemlocks. The hemlocks, there's no leaves. You're just in needles. The only right. thing you can count on in those woods is a tiny, tiny snap of a twig. And I heard it directly below me, and I didn't even look. I mean, my dad told me, don't waste no time looking if you ain't got something to to, to do about it you know you gotta get your gun first then look get your bow first then look yeah because you know half the time it's a split second opportunity and you snooze you lose and uh, anyways i heard that snap and i reach and get my bow and i start swiveling in my seat i never stood up i shot it sitting down with a stick bow that's and, awesome so i swiveled and turned myself as far as i could just scooting on my butt and i just seen him coming out of my peripheral right under me he was probably he was right against the tree I was hanging in, and he took about two more steps. And you, you can't think about it with the stick bow. You know, you just yank it back, anchor, and let her fly. I think he was about five yards away, just, you know, 
you know, once you do the math triangulate, you know what I mean? And, yeah, right. But he, I watched that arrow. I just, like I said, you can't think about it. Let it go. And I just watched that arrow slither right in his armpit and seat. And as soon as that arrow quit moving forward, he ripped a grunt. I'd never heard a deer grunt when I shot it. But uh, he ripped a grunt. He probably ran. I just heard him. It sounded like he hit the ground five times running through the hemlocks in a crash and a thud. And I was like, well, that sounds too good to be true, you know? And <laughs> right. I, uh, I gave him his time or whatever and shimmed me down the tree. And when I was walking up, he was behind a, an immense old, you know, a, a, a dead hemlock tree so big, probably five or six feet in circumference. And uh, nice. it was fell over on its side. And uh, I could see the tops of his antlers standing up just like this. And I could see his tail under the low down log. And, you know, I'm thinking, holy crap, he's still alive, you know. <laughs> so I put that root ball between me and him. I watched, I sat there for 10 minutes just staring at him. I did not see a single movement or anything. I'm like, this ain't the first time I've seen one dead with his head leaned against a tree. And sure enough, I come around that, uh, that root ball and he's laying there dead as a rock. But the icing on the cake was, is he was dead against an old rub that was healed over. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> four, four inch around tree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, your shot placement's definitely super key uh, when shooting a traditional bow like that. Yeah, it's a 45 pound draw. Um, I do, you know, I'm shooting full length cedar arrows, and I've got some 200 grain old school glue on grizzlies that. Uh, it did the trick. It, it barely, it went and it stuck about a half inch through his offside shoulder. It almost, if I'd have had 50 pounds, it probably yeah, would have exited. That's awesome, man. That's a pretty cool story. I like that. Um, you know, the, the reason why I looked you up on Go Wild uh, to message you to, to hear some stories, I actually had Derek Tolles on from Go Wild, and he t- was talking about him and Mike coming down and uh hooking up with you and doing some some hunting down there so i want to hear it what's it like hunting with uh with old mike larson oh man it was a blast we uh you know when we first got together and whatnot everybody's you know you just getting taking everybody's temperature you know seeing the feel for everybody but man we uh i can't say the last time i really hit it off that good with just anybody we by the day two we were cutting up like we known each other our whole lives and just, that's awesome it's good time good really good times i know mike he's got gobs more experience than me and Derek, but he you know he let us talk and say our ideas and all that you know and we communicated well hunting we didn't butt heads uh have really you know we all we we had a legit i mean we spent more time laughing then we did. Uh, <laughs> if we would have not been cutting up so much, we'd have probably had a better chance killing turkeys. <laughs> but <laughs> that's awesome. Our, our first little deal was a bust because my old I was ri- mixing my fuel too rich in my boat, and uh, it just wouldn't want to start for us. And I'm like, boys, I don't want to. I can make it start, but I can't guarantee it will when we're however many miles off on the lake. And, right. So we, we did a little scramble. That was a pretty – I apologize to them boys that whole time. I said, because, you know, like I said, you're blundering in that first time. You don't know how good it's going to be. Right. That turned into a dang armadillo uh, chase. Literally, Mike chased it. Like, full sprint, chased an armadillo. <laughs> and I'll never – that image is burned forever in my mind. 
you know, we've talked about it before, like me and Adam on here talking, but, you know, in the moment you're like, man, this freaking blows. You know, I didn't mean for this to happen. Obviously, you know, you want everything to go so smooth. And then you look back on it later after everything's, you know, you've gone through everything. It's like, man, that was such a good time. We had such fun together that day or whatever. Something always happens and you, you turn, uh, you know, a, a bad thing like that into a, a good memory, you know? Oh, yeah. And, you know, to top it off after the bushwhacking in, it was miserable. I ain't going to lie. It was miserable. It was like overgrown privet on the edge of the lake. You couldn't see five feet in front. And I was like, but we got to get to this field. We got to just drop a pin on the backside of a field. You can do that around here. Just get close to a dang field. And there's going to be a turkey or two. I mean, that's just kind of how our population is. It's mm-hmm. And if we would have been disciplined, like after all that, uh, bushwhacking and all that crap if we would have just we, we were hitting a call standing there which we all know better than that but we were just it was probably close to 11 o'clock it was hot just not feeling i mean, I, I kill most of my turkeys midday but we was just kind of burnt out and beat from the walk-in and blah 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 we had two jakes run us over while we were standing there cutting up <laughs> if we sat down against a tree there'd have been two flopping birds that's awesome you're you uh your uh, turkey population in tennessee uh hit a little bit of a decline right like you guys went from able to shoot like four birds to two now yeah I, that's kind of sad i've killed four birds every year since i was 16 up until last year they dropped it down to three mm-hmm. and uh, actually last year was the first year i didn't kill all three of my birds not saying i couldn't have i held off on a lot of 40 yard shots because again i like to count them hairs on their head <laughs> but uh and it, frankly i could have killed a turkey when we were all three hunting but i wanted to hold out because i mike gave me a hard time i said you know Derek was sitting right here mike was a uh, maybe 15 feet over to my right and just the way the land laid then birds we we got in there with them on the day two got in there about eight o'clock one hammered and we knew to get in there and go live with him you know hang out with him until he broke loose he stayed with a bunch of jakes back and forth in the private field. We was right on the property line, you know. <laughs> right. In the, you know, we was holding back a decent ways or whatever. But he's out in the private field. And we're in the public woods. Story of our life, you know. And uh, they were going to leave, and I can uh, gobble on the diaphragm. And mm-hmm. uh, I was holding out for that. You never know if that's you know you never get second guess yourself more than when you're turkey hunting. You know. Right. Just, oh, absolutely. The best move is. And, but anyways, I gobbled at him a couple times, and then it was two super jakes and a, and a young gobbler, and uh, they marched right in, got right there with the root ball. They had all three of their heads lined up, and I told Mike, I said, uh, I could have shot them all three in one shot. He's like, well, why didn't you? <laughs> and I said, well, you know why. You know, but he's giving me a hard time about that, but uh, we we had a really good time, and we tangled with those birds in a tiny, I mean, in a, maybe a, not even a two acre spot, just and always 10 feet across the property line. That's just, you know, I'd say there's a lot of boys who would have blasted them things like that, but that shows, you know, who the kind of people they are. And Absolutely. I won't shoot anything like that. I hope most people won't, but you know, there is a few, but man, there's we a just, few that would pull the trigger for sure. It was a, <laughs> It was frustrating. It was real. And, you know, them boys traveled quite a ways and whatnot. You always want the people who's coming with you to have success, you know, you, especially they travel halfway across the country. <laughs> but right. that's hunting, you know. Uh, 
I'll just tell them next time I'll take them to a little bit more of a honey hole. That one was just a pure pin on the map. I know there's turkeys here. Let's go. But we might go somewhere where I got a little bit more historical knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, buddy, I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking some deer hunt with me and uh, telling some stories about you and uh, chasing some mountain mountain deer. But uh, where can uh, everybody find you at on uh, social media? Go wild. That's it. Absolutely. That's the only thing I've ever fooled with. I love the Go Wild community. I shout them out every episode. Great guys. I love Braden and uh, Brad and uh, Derek and everybody involved over there. They're all really nice people. Had a great time with them at Send It Slam. Can't wait to hang out with everybody again down there. And uh, if if you're listening, give us a rate and review on the podcast. If you're on YouTube, hit that like button. And, uh, you know, follow us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, go wild. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as a podcast host, but, uh, everybody have a a good rest of your week and, uh, we'll see you later.